blueprint. And we've been, we've been talking about the vision of the church. And we're, if you, has anybody noticed out at the guest services each week that the placards are changing? Anybody noticed that? I see Pastor Tagan's noticed it. And, and this week, does anybody know what it says out there? Discover purpose. And so the first one we talked about was what? It was no God. We believe that it's very important that a person knows God, that without knowing God, you can never really know freedom or you can never really have freedom, which is the second step in or the second part of our, our vision or mission statement is that you find freedom. We want you to have freedom. We want, I really believe as conservative, now this is, not, this is not against anybody here this morning. Please don't think that if you think I'm preaching at you, it's not you know, preaching against you or whatever, it's not. But I really believe that there's more people than, that came down here this, to this front this morning that really wanted to, but in their hearts they were like, you know, I just I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can do that. And I remember, I believe it was um, uh, Spurgeon, the preacher that was uh, talking about a man who was walking down the sidewalk one day. And he, as he was going down the sidewalk, the guy uh, that was in front of him was doing these cartwheels. And he was doing these cartwheels to the point that he hit him and the guy, Spurgeon, basically said something to him in the effect, are you crazy, man? And he said, man, I've been in prison. And he told for how long it was. And he said, if you had been locked up as long as I had, you'd be doing cartwheels too. Can I tell you something? That when you're in chains in the prison of your own self or what the enemy's done to in your life and it keeps you bound up, once you find freedom in Christ Jesus, you'll do some crazy stuff every now and again. Say, well, pastor, I just don't want to get in the flesh. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'd rather get in the flesh a little bit. Come on, somebody. As to just sit there and just feel like, well, I'll never get beyond this. I'll never, nothing's ever going to happen in my life. Can I tell you, when Jesus set me free in February of 1979, I have been free and living free indeed. But I'm going to tell you, there are times the enemy has tried his best. He has tried his best to chain me up and bind me up again. But I'm thankful that I am free. Yes, free indeed. That's what Jesus did for me, and I want him to do it for you too. And that's the second of this. And then the third, which is what we're talking about today, is discovering purpose. Now, we've been using a, a, a verse or some verses in Ephesians, and I'm going to divert from that today. And I'm going to use a verse out of Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. And I want to read this verse to you that says this. This is about... Egypt, uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt and it says therefore say to the people of Israel I am the Lord I will free you from oppression I think everybody in this house doesn't want to feel like they're under any kind of weight of oppression or they don't want to be depressed or oppressed and so the Bible says that the Lord was going to free them from oppression and look at this, he will rescue from your slavery. You're not in bondage to a man. You're not in bondage to any person. You're not in bondage to anything. And if you're a slave to something, you're not free. You're living under the bondage of the weight of that. Amen. He said, I want to free you from your slavery in Egypt. Now, this is the part I want you to get today because this is the key to what we're going to talk about in discovering your purpose. And He says this, I will redeem you. And I just want you to think about the word for a moment, redeem, because we're going to talk about it. And I'm really going to try to put this where we all understand the word redemption or the word redeem. He said, with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. One of the things that I've learned about this, 
And I think a lot of times we as the church get very, very caught up in it. That God wants to judge us. He wants to put his finger on us. He is, if we slip up, if we get, if we do, if we misstep in God, he wants to put us down. I just want to declare to you today that no more than you want to do that to your children, God does not want to do it to you. And no matter what your view of your father has been in the past, my heavenly father teaches me that he has greater, he, he is better, that he is, if this is a term, more gooder than our earthly father and that he has good gifts for us, that he cares about us. And the last thing he wants to do is to make us feel like, or to, he wants to redeem us. Somebody say redeem us. And here's the thing that, here's a, something I need to get for, before I really get in and preach this this morning on discover your purpose. And that is long before you were ever a thought in your parents' mind. You, you, and I'm going to show this to you in the Bible this morning. Long before your parents ever thought about you as, a, as having you as a child, as a baby, I believe with all of my heart that your heavenly Father already had written into your DNA purpose. You can use a lot of words. You can use, if you get into talking about destiny and you're going to hear that word come out of my mouth, I believe that really there's two words that need to be coupled together, and that is divine destiny. Because when you talk about destiny, some will get into it and say, well, that's the problem, Pastor. God created me to be uh, this way, and I can't be, I can't change from that. I'll never be different than that. I believe that everything that God created was intended for good. I believe that it was the enemy that corrupted those things that are good. I believe that it was the enemy's work in the beginning that caused that and mankind has bought into a lie that these things are that way and God never intended it to be that way. Amen. And I really believe with all of my heart that that is in your spiritual DNA. In other words, God has created in you something good. The greatest obstacle that we as believers face is believing the plan of God in your life, listen to what I'm about to say, has no expiration date. That God wants to do something. There is story after story in this building. There's story after story down in beautiful, at Beautiful Deliverance this morning in that ministry. There's story after story in your households of people who started out on a path to serve God to, or to live for God. Let me, let me use that term, to live for God. Wanted to do the right thing. Wanted to do what God had asked them to do. What God created them to do. And yet have somehow ended up off of that path going another direction. And the reason, and then when they go that direction, at some point in their life, Pastor Tagan, it may have been later on that they realized, you know what, God never intended me for, for me to go that path. He has something better in store. He has, a better, he has something better for me. The enemy lied to me. And so you come back into a full relationship with God, but you start to believe that the, that the enemy or the lie that the enemy has told you is that what God once wanted to do in your life is not of value anymore. It doesn't count. That there was, an expi- there was an expiration date on that. And I just need to share this with you. If there is breath in your body, listen to me, there isn't just hope, there is biblical hope. 
that if there is breath in your child that you're praying for that is doing everything wrong that you don't believe they will ever live for God they will never serve God they they came to church or you took them to church you brought them to church but they're living the opposite of the way that you think or the Bible speaks about I believe that if there's breath in their body are you hearing what I'm telling you that there is hope for that young person come on somebody Amen. And I honestly believe that the big thing that is inside of us, this spiritual DNA, what God wants to do, the purpose of God in our life, most of the time we don't see it. The truth is that God sees something in your life that even those people that are around you may not always see. I did not know this year marks 34 years since I knew that there was a specific call of God on my life. 34 years ago, young man, I didn't take a church right away. I didn't take a youth pastor right away. There was a lot I did not do right away. But 34 years ago, I knew that the call of God was confirmed on my life. At the early age of about 9, 10, 11 years old, there were gray-haired ladies who I loved and thought a lot of. Some of them taught my junior uh, Sunday school classes that had 411 bobby pins in their hair, and when they get excited, they would come out at an altar of prayer, would put their hand on my head, and they would say over me, one day you will preach the gospel. I didn't know what that really meant. I didn't really know that at some point in my life that God would put into my care a, a group of people or many people and at my responsibility to lead them to a life of purpose. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that it meant that there was a, a great responsibility of making sure that people walked out their divine destiny in God. But can I tell you something? I am so thankful that God has done this great work in my life and that God is leading me. And because He is leading me, I understand that my purpose and your purpose is tied together. Come on, somebody. And that I can't do what I need to do unless you do what you need to do. And that we are the hand and the feet of Jesus Christ and when he went away he said when I go away I'm not going to leave you comfortless today is the day 50 days after Easter the day of Pentecost I'm not going to leave you comfortless but I'm going to send you a comforter I'm going to send you an advocate I'm going to send you a helper I'm going to send you a paraclete I'm going to send you somebody that will give you more will give you the purpose but not only give you the purpose but help you to fulfill it in the world that you're living in come on somebody Amen. So here's the thing. When Adam and Eve in the beginning failed or, or sinned, they did. We know that from reading the Bible. We touched on this a little bit. They accepted the offer from Satan to live what he called was a better way. We talked about the fact that what he appealed to to them was not necessarily an appeal to sin, but how to have or to be like God. And the enemy's still using that. He still uses that lie. So the first sin that was committed in, in, uh, in humanity was the sin of how do, I, how, do I, how do I become like God? How do I live? He was giving a different world view of how you could live. The Bible says, look at this, that God gave them dominion over the earth. 
which simply means, Brother Bo, that, that when God, when they had dominion over the earth, that the animals that were along the earth, that Adam could say to them, he would call them out by name, or he would call them, and that's a giraffe right there. Come on, somebody. That's an elephant. God gave him the right to speak into uh, what they were, and that he was to... He was to have dominion over the earth. He was the only person above Adam was God the Father. Come on, somebody. The, the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, they were the only ones, but he had dominion. But hear this. When they when I, when Eve chose to eat and Adam allowed that to happen, they relinquished their rights to dominion over the earth. Matter of fact, I believe it's in John, maybe first John somewhere, where it talks about the God of this world, little G God of this world. Satan, come on somebody, he is now the God of this world. What do you mean by that? Well, he re, they relinquished their rights back to, uh, in the earth, back to Satan. And this is why I believe where we first read in Exodus chapter 6 verse 6 says, I will redeem you, which simply means this, that God wants to put you and I, hear this, back to our original state. Okay, here we go. God created Adam and Eve in a perfected state. That's the reason that when they walked through the garden, they had no clothes on. And in the South, we call it being naked. Some say naked. And, and they say there's a difference in the terminologies. One means you're up to no good. <laughs> and the other one just simply means, you know, you got that young and running around naked out there. They just don't know any better. When they realized, the Bible says their eyes were open to the sin, or they, it was open that they were, they were naked. The Bible says that they put, or they sewed together fig leaves. They did all this stuff. You know the story. Most of you do. That, that God asked them, who told you that you were naked? And they said, well, we took the fruit, and we ate the fruit, and our eyes were open. And here's the thing. Because they sinned, every, every person ever born on the earth, was infused from that bloodline or in humanity with that sin. That's why a kid, your children, come on somebody, you can tell them don't eat those cookies from that cookie jar, right? And they're little and they go and they get those cookies out of that cookie jar. They, they disguise it well and the lid's kind of half back on the jar. And there's crumbs all over the counter and on the floor because you know you just cleaned it up. But the biggest thing is you can see there's chocolate chip all over their face. And you ask them the question, did you eat cookies out of that cookie jar? They too. How do they know that they're going to, how do they know to tell a lie? Nobody taught them how to tell that lie. They knew that because it was automatically in their second nature or their nature to do that. Are you with me? Actually in their first nature to do that because that's the original sin all comes back from that. So in this, he said in Exodus 6 and 6 that he would redeem us back, bring us back to the original state. That means that God could have left humanity and chose to leave us like we were, but he decided that through his son Jesus Christ that he would redeem, that he would repurchase mankind because they had relinquished their dominion on the earth and God loved us so much that he would not leave us to our own demise that everyone in here ever born of a woman deserved to die 
the death of the eternal death or the second death, which is because of sin. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? The key that unlocks all of this and the calling and the purpose of your life or the divine destiny of your life is is found in the Word of God. It's the word redeem or redemption. My story when I was growing up, to kind of help you to get to understand this a little bit, is when I was growing up, my dad worked for a company called Pepsi-Cola, which was real big in that part of East Tennessee. And you drank Pepsi-Cola or Mountain Dew. And so because dad worked for Pepsi-Cola, that was a a reason for us to drink Pepsi-Cola, right? And so when I was a kid, uh, we would go to the store, and they had these coolers, most of them, were these lay-down, what we call lay-downer type coolers that you would slide the glass flat, you get you a cold drink, which is what a lot of folks here in Mississippi call it. We call it a cold Pepsi. Out of that thing, it was in a glass bottle. And there would be an opener on the side of it. I need to be talking to these kids because a lot of them, they've seen those. They think there's some kind of relic and special thing down on the bottom of the store that there's only a handful of. But that used to be all the way all drinks were. And so you would take that out and you would pop the top off of it or there was tied to the counter an opener and you would open. That's the way all drinks come. They did not come with a twist. Most of them did not come with a twist-off lid like you find now or in a plastic container. They came in a glass bottle. Here's the point. We knew that those bottles, most of them, were worth about 10 cents piece. They were called, they were bottles that could be redeemed or took back to the store and you could get 10 cents for them. Well, when you're a kid and you don't have any money and you don't really get an allowance, if you can find a handful of them bottles, that meant enough, that meant enough gasoline to go in maybe a go-kart. <laughs> that meant another Pepsi. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And so what we realized was there was a little bit of value. So when you were walking along the road and there was a ditch and you found a Pepsi bottle, because everybody knows that rednecks and hillbillies do one or two things with a bottle in their car. If it's hard, it's glass, you try to hit that sign going down the road. And if you sling it over the top and hit it on the other side, you're really somebody. I know some of y'all looking at me religious like you've never done anything like that. You had to bless your heart. You never really knew what fun. But anyway, we realized that bottle's worth something. So we would pick them up. If somebody else threw them out, we would do what they said. Now, we had to wait until we got to go to the store. But we would a lot of times rinse them out. We would put them up, let them dry out. And we would take them and redeem them because we saw value in them. Can I tell you something? When Jesus stretched out his arms on Calvary, he saw value in your life. And the sins that you had committed in your past and the sins that you would ever commit in the future and the ones you were living in in your present, he bought you back. He redeemed you. He brought you out of where you had been to where you need to be. Amen. And there's two reasons I want to share with you quickly that people don't live out their life of purpose. They don't realize why. I'll tell you why one of them is they don't realize or they don't see the greatness, hear this, that God knows about them. They don't view or they don't see the greatness that God knows about them. Psalms 18.35 in the New Living says this, You have given me a shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has, look at this, made me great. You know what 
that says to me and it says to you says to you is that God created us for greatness. God created us for greatness, but most of us miss the fact because we believe that many times we're looking at our life in a rearview mirror of where we have been. But I come by to tell you today that God's not wanting you to live your life in a rearview mirror. He's not wanting you to look at the shame of your past and the past lives because if you live your life in a rearview mirror, it will cripple your future. It will cripple your future with shame and condemnation because you will always believe, hear me, that what happened to you in the past is what your life is all about. But God has said, I see something inside of you. I see greatness when you don't see greatness. I look past and beyond all of your shame. I look past all that you've done. I look past all the sin. He knew where you were Saturday night. He knew where you were Friday night. He knew where you were two weeks ago and a month ago. He knew what you said. But can I tell you that he loved you anyway? Romans said that while we were still ranked wretched sinners. Come on somebody. While we were still no good while we were still no good listen to me that Christ died for our sins he died for you he died for me knowing what I was like and how I was living come on somebody that's the love of God condemnation says you're messed up and you'll always be messed up Jesus says you're a mess but I made a way to clean up your mess <laughs> Everybody knows John 3.16, For God so loved the world, come on somebody, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's me, that's you, believes in Him, come on somebody, would have eternal life. We know that. But I'll tell you what a lot of people don't know. They don't know John 3.17, which is the verse that follows it, that said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn this old world. Come on, somebody. But the world through Him might be saved. He didn't send His Son to condemn you, but He sent His Son to save you. Come on, somebody. In the midst of all of this, He loved you. Amen. Man, I heard a story, and Pastor Ted's done told one, so if he told one, i got to tell one. I heard a story, and i got to tell it, and you've already heard it. Well, you can just, you know, you can zone out here for just a second, and then I'll bring you back in. I thought it was so funny. I needed to give it to you. It's about the man who goes into this, he goes into the, he goes into the uh, pet store, and the pet store owner's got this parrot that's just rude as it can be. And the pet store owner's off doing his thing, and this guy's just kind of browsing around looking and minding his own business, and the parrot said, hey, the guy was like, the parrot said, yeah, you, come here. So the guy walks over to the parrot's cage, unknowing what the parrot's going to do. And the parrot looks at him and says, you the ugliest thing I've seen walk in here today. It offended the man. It would offend you. So the man goes to the, to the, to the pet store owner, tells him what the parrot did, and said, yeah, I've been having that trouble. Pulls him by the beak, plucks out a few of its feathers, slaps him on top of the head, reprimands him. The guy leaves the shop. A month later, he comes back into the shop, browsing around, minding his own business, and that parrot said, hey. The guy looks over at him and said, who, me? He said, yeah, what? And so the guy walks over, uh, he says, come here. So the guy walks over to him and he says, the, the guy looks at the parrot and says, what? The parrot said, you know what? That's funny. You know what? 
This is exactly how the enemy will play with your mind. He's like that parrot constantly quacking at you and squawking at you. And he don't even have to say it the second time. All he needed to do was remind you the first time of who he says you are. The second time, all he's got to do is look at you, come on, and say, you know what? You know what you did. You know where you were. You know what you've been, what's been going on in your life. Come on. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I have watched as hard as I want to stand there and worship. I have seen people in church. You'll get in church service. We'll start to sing. We'll start to talk about freedom. We'll start to sing that song. People be clapping their hands. You'll pull your hands out of your pocket, start to clap and start to lift them. And the next thing you know, you've got them back in your pocket again. And you know why? Because that old parrot has done show up. The enemy has done shown up and started reminding you of what you said and what you did the week before, the month before. Are you hearing me? The devil always reminds you of your path. He always wants to shame you, put you in condemnation, but Jesus made a way to clean up your mess. And regardless of what the world is saying or the enemy is saying, I am free and want to be free. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. See, it's a shame game. I've shared that with you. The shame game plays with you. Something you did to try to convince you that's who you are, and it's not who you are. He keeps you from seeing yourself differently than the way that God sees you. How how do I know that, Pastor? How does God see me? Well, Ephesians 2 and 10 says this. For we are God's... Somebody said, Pastor, you messed up. And God messed up by even putting that in the Bible. How could he call me a masterpiece? That's what the Bible says. He says, for you are his masterpiece, or we are his masterpiece. He created us, how? Anew in Christ Jesus, so that we could do good things. Look at this. I I need you to get this. We didn't highlight it, but I need you to get this. That he planned for us yesterday, when we got right, when we started acting right, when we started talking right, when we started living right. No, that ain't what it said. Brother Hugh, it said that he did it a long time ago. Oh, come on, somebody. While I didn't even care about who God was, when I didn't even think about who his son was, when I couldn't even when I couldn't even quote, I couldn't untie two Bible verses. He loved me, and he had a plan for me a long time ago, Pastor Taken. He knew me, and he cared about me, and he loved me, and he said, son of put something down deep inside of you it's going to give you purpose in your life so that you know why you're on the planet come on somebody amen amen alright let me go so God has a plan for you but it can't be fulfilled until you start to see yourself the way that God sees you are you hearing me I said God's got a plan for you but it can't be fulfilled until you see yourself the way that he sees you The enemy of your soul has a plan for your life too. That's something I need you to understand. I preached a a few months back talking about that, that Satan wants our young people. Now, that's not just a paraphrase. I'm telling you, young people, hear what I'm saying to you. Those of you that are sitting in this service, some of you, you're, you're at least nine, maybe ten or a little older. The enemy wants your life. Hear me, I need everybody listening to me. Moms, dad, grandmas, and grandparents. 
the enemy wants their life. Some of you have gotten old enough, you recognize and realize when the enemy's telling you and talking to you and telling you stuff that you don't need to hear. But I'm telling you, there is a rash of this where they're telling these kids are hearing, hey, I don't need to live anymore. I need to take my life. I don't belong on this planet. God never created me for something. I see a young man back there shaking his head because he knows the thing I'm very thing I'm talking about. The devil wants to try to take you out. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I said that as a that is a lie. Don't you make me get up on a chair and preach this morning. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm telling you, God created you on purpose for purpose. He's got a plan for you long ago before you were ever a thought in your mama's mind. God knew you. He knew who you were, and he knew what he needed you to do. And as much as God loves you, the enemy will try to convince you there's a better way. And I'm telling you, it's not a better way. It's a trap. Pastor, what do I need to do? The Bible says that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I studied that. Come on, somebody. I wanted to know how in the world could I take those thoughts captive that the enemy was running through my mind because I'm going to tell you, your mind can become the devil's playground. He can use those thoughts in your mind to become his playground. How do I take them thoughts? I go to the Word of God and I do what Philippians says. And if it ain't lovely, if it ain't of a good report, come on somebody, if it doesn't have something good to say about me, then I reject it. It's not supposed to be in my mind. Lord, I, I think all these things, these things today, Lord, that what you're saying about me is good, that you've got a plan for me. And Lord, I'm going to live my life for you and I'm not going to serve it on the enemy's turf. Come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you just give the Lord praise? Come on, amen. Secondly, let me share this with you, how the enemy tries to keep you from living out your purpose. Hear this. The distractions of life that delay our purpose. There are distractions of life that really delay our purpose. Now, notice that I said they delay them. And notice that I said they're distractions. That wasn't so that there were two words in there with a D because I believe that both of them line up. You see, the part of our story, there's a part of our story that we don't believe that God ever intended to write into our life, but we've lived that out at some point. Are you with me? I need everybody to hear this. I'm going to make it as real as I can and try to keep myself together as good as I can. Many of us realize there's a part of our life story that we lived out, but we are not so sure that God intended for that to be lived through us. At some point, we got distracted. At some point, we got diverted. At some point, uh, something happened in our life. Now, hear what I'm about to tell you. Many times, what happens is some kind of tragedy in our life. We did not expect our children to go that path. We never thought they would. We never thought they would call home and tell us what they're telling us. Are you hearing what I'm preaching to you right now? We never thought, we thought we were doing everything we knew to do to raise them the right way, to make, to make sure that their paths were ordered. They've called home and told us something that stirred us on the inside. Some of us have gotten distracted by the pain of death. I, I got good news for you. Death has been defeated. I said death has been defeated. 
And what happens is we go through these things and, and they distract us. And, and a lot of times it's painful for us. This tragedy is painful. And I'm going to tell you, it wounds us on the inside to the place that it even can divert us from the purpose of God in our life. You hear me? Sometimes, Brother Michael, good things divert us. It's not a bad thing for you to run into a pile of money. And if you do, all I ask you to do is pay your time. I had somebody ask me one time, Pastor, if I won a million dollars down at the casino, would you, would you take my tithe? I said, absolutely. We'll pray over it, sanctify it to the glory of God. And Brother David, we'll take and pay off the rest of what we owe and reach somebody for Jesus Christ. The good things can divert you from the purpose of God, but many times it's the painful things that come to us in life that cause us to get off track. Come on, somebody, are you with me? It wounded us on the inside. It diverted us from God. We, 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 we had our eyes on Him, but now we, it's like something happened and we're not really where we were. Can I tell you something? Many times it's the enemy's way or it's his plan over your life to keep you from your purpose in life. But hear what I'm about to tell you. That God himself wants to cancel the plans of the enemy off of your life. Two things begin to happen to us when we get diverted. One, we, we start, this Bible lays up in the back of the seat into the window of our car and it, and it lays there until the sun has burned its spot on it and it, it, its pages are now wrinkled even where they weren't anymore. And then we, we don't pray like we used to. We don't get up and thank God for another day because we think of what we've lost has caused us not to have a purpose in living. Can I tell you something? If you continue to grieve and there is a point that you will have to grieve, we all do and we all will. It is a space of time that you must have when you have lost in your life. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? But there at some point in your life, you've got to look up to the maker of heaven and earth. You may be alone and have to pull your own bootstraps up or your sandal straps up and say, God, I thank you that you created this day. I thank you Come on, somebody, that you promised that the sun would come up in the morning and I'm going to get up too because I realize there's something great inside of me. Long before I knew who God was and cared about him, he cared about me. Put something in my spiritual DNA that says I am somebody in him and there is a big purpose in my life. Somebody just say greatness today. The enemy wants to distract you from the greatness of God, but God wants to cancel that off of your life true story and if you've heard it you can check out for a minute I've tried not to go here for some time we're coming up next Sunday on Father's Day and we've got a great service planned for you we've already got some wonderful things that we've purposed out and planned out for our fathers and some things we just want to bless you with and we're going to keep in this series and we're going to talk about how in the world do I make a difference Dads, you are the main one I want to talk to, I want to talk to everybody but I'm going to talk to our daddies, I'm going to talk to the men of the church, come on somebody Five years ago, this this Christmas, this Christmas is what, what reminds me of my dad's passing a lot of times. And I know that's how we do. It's just kind of the landmark. Even though it was ten days or so before Christmas, that's what I think about. I began to allow the pain of what was going on 
from that, Pastor Tagan, and many of you know this because you've lost your dad. You, you may have lost him in an untimely incident or, or you just didn't figure that it was his time. Or maybe he lived through a long, ripe old age, but you still feel like somehow or another you got shorted. I allowed that situation in my life to do something to me and it was basically putting me into an autopilot emotionally. And the enemy was trying to use what was painful to distract me from the purpose of God on my life. I mean, literally putting me into an emotional autopilot that, that I, I was just going through life. But I'm going to tell you what it does. It'll empty you out on the inside. It'll, it'll dig a hole inside of you that you, you just didn't realize was, was there. Pastor, how do you come past something like that? A lot of prayer. A lot of people praying for me. A lot of time spent with my wife and her arm around me. A lot of time laying on the floor asking God to help me because I'm going to tell you something. It ain't easy. And some of you that have been there know what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm saying. When you've lost somebody tragically or you lost someone when you felt like it was kind of short, kind of a short thing, however that is, we could stand here all day and compare those losses. But the truth of it is, it doesn't matter. We all have lost. And the loss hurts. And it hurts us in different ways. But I'm going to tell you something. Look at this. I know that sometimes that it's the enemy because 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul wrote this. He said, I wanted very much to come to you. Look at what he says. And I, Paul, look, tried and tried again. But Satan, what did he do? He prevented us. Hear what I'm going to say. I want everybody to get this. Satan cannot physically touch you. He cannot physically touch you. Somebody said, the devil made me do it. That is a lie. That is a lie. He can mess with your mind because you allow him to come in and you don't take those thoughts captive. He can mess with your emotions. Come on, somebody. He can do a lot of those different things in your life. But listen to this. He cannot touch you, but here's what he can do. Hear this. He can cut a ditch in the path or the road that you're walking on. A diversion. A distraction. Are you hearing me? You know like I do, when you get to a path uh, in the road, if there's a ditch cut in it deep enough, you'll either go right or left to try to divert around that ditch. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what we've got to do is choose what we're going to do. Let me, let me make it easy for you. You can get to Disney in Florida from Vicksburg. Come on. Amen, somebody. Somebody point which way Disney in Florida would be. Come on. Come on, just point. It's so funny to watch people. Come on, y'all. Some of you won't do it. Some of you scared. I don't know. I got people pointing every way, north, south, east, and west. You, you can get to Disney from here. You, you can go down the interstate and you can break off somewhere around uh, in go through Pensacola and you break down to hear me you can also get to Disney from here through Atlanta Georgia but I'm going to tell you if you're going and you think Atlanta's the way to Disney I don't want to ride with you 
because somehow or another you got distracted and we're adding several hours to a trip that we really didn't need to go on. My point is simply this, that God's plans and purpose does not change in your life or for your life. But if you get distracted and a ditch has been cut in the road and you don't grit up and choose to cross that ditch, you will go one way or the other and you may end up in Atlanta and you may be diverted for a few hours getting there, but I come by to tell you that God's purpose and plan and destination for your life has not changed one bit. You're just delayed. Come on, somebody. Why do you know that? Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose for them. Pastor, are you sure that God can use my life no matter what path I've taken and what my past has been like? Yes, God's word is a guarantee. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 said, For God's gifts and His callings can never be withdrawn. One translation says, And God's gifts and callings are His guarantee. I'm glad to know this morning that God never changes His mind about me. I'm glad to know, Brother David, that He never gives up on me. I'm glad to know this morning that no matter what my past has been like, that somehow, some way, if I will just come back, if I will just come back, if if I will just come back. He's got purpose. He's got a plan in my life and for my life. Quickly, how can I, how can I know my gift for God's plan in my life? I'm going to give these to you as quick as I can. Romans 12, 6. The first part of that says we all have different gifts. Somebody say we all have different gifts. According to the grace, that's a key word here. Earlier we talked about redeeming. Now that grace has been given to each of us. If you read that word grace, some would say it means charos, or it does, which is the word where we get charismatic, which means that we've got this purpose that's really kind of overflowing inside of us that we really like to do it and we want to do it, and we got something that God's put in us. It's, grace. it's a grace of God. Are you with me? Hear this. It's a divine ability or a grace gift, which means this really comes naturally to me. It comes naturally to me. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to say this to you. When Pastor Bethany's up here, we prayed before the service in the green room, but she came in and we, a lot of times, will pray for each other. And so we were praying for each other and I was praying over her. And, and one of the things I thought about is that the gift of leading in worship comes naturally for her. You can watch me and know that my gifting is not leading in a worship service as far as that way. And I thought, that's so great, but some of you are not called to that. That's not your calling, but you have been given, all of us have, a divine ability or a grace gift which says there's something that I really like to do. There's something inside of me. It's really kind of charismatic inside of me that I care about doing. It comes naturally for me. I, I, and I, it's, in, it's a great desire that God has put in me. You know what it is? Sometimes it's helping the poor. Sometimes it's visiting prisons. Sometimes it's helping those that are addicted to drugs or alcohol. or it, it, it comes in a lot of different variations. It may be the hospitality gift. It may be that God's called you to be hospitable to people at a door. You open your home up. You like for people to come to your house. You don't really care in what the kids do. You just got that gift. It's a divine gift that God puts in your DNA. So what can I do about this great desire? What can I do about that. I'll tell you what you can do. The Bible says that you and I are to pursue it. 
This is what 1 Corinthians 14.3 says. Follow the way of love. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. In other words, we ought, to be, we ought to be a little bit charismatic about what God's called us to do. I really believe that there's a lot of people that get burned out in church. Hear what I'm about to say, and I thought about this a lot. They get burned out in church not because... It's not because of being in church. It's because they're doing something in church that was never their purpose. And a lot of times if we don't pursue that gift, if we don't know that, I know that there are a lot of times, there have been times in my life I thought, you know what, I just need to stay seated. This morning when Pastor Ted said, I think I can preach, I want to say you're not going to get that this morning. Normally I would, a lot of times would say, hey, you, 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 you can go ahead if that's what you want to do. But in my heart, I didn't say that out loud, in my heart I was like, you know what, there's something burning on the inside of me this morning that I need to give to these people. You know what that is? That's that grace gift that's talked about. That's that great desire that's on the inside of us. That's that thing that comes inside of us that's natural to us. So what do I do? I pursue it. But hear this. Statistics show that 87% of the people in the body of Christ, never pursue or know what that gift is. How do I know, Pastor? Well, I think you need to discover it. I believe that I'm part of that. I believe that I'm part of the, the piece of that puzzle that before God, before you were ever born, before you were ever put on this planet, that He had a design for you. He had a purpose for you. Matter of fact, Psalms 139, verses 14 and, uh, 13 and 14 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit them together in my mother's womb. Look at what verse 14 says. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You know what? Listen to this. If you think about what these verses say and you understand that you have to be redeemed, you cannot buy yourself your sins back. You, you can pay for your sins. You can pay the bill. We talked about this at Easter. You can pay the price for your sins. But why would you want to do that if Jesus already paid the price? You don't have to. That, that's why we say, why, was, why, did, why would God send people to hell? He doesn't. That's the place that people go that choose to pay their own bill. You don't have to pay your own bill. Jesus paid that bill for you. So you can't redeem yourself. You can't buy yourself back. Jesus did. He has the right. Come on, somebody. He, is, he has the right, which says this. Your design, we already read it, Psalms 139, does reveal your destiny or your divine destiny. Your key to your design is God. If you're going to know it, you need to know God. If you really want to know why God put you here, then you need to know God. Secondly, you need to develop that gift. I believe that the pastor's job description isn't a lot of what a lot of people think that it is. I believe that the pastor's job description is to equip you for works of service. I cannot teach youth on Wednesday night. I could, but I couldn't be down on, uh, on the adults on Wednesday night. I can't be in nursery this morning or kids construct or kids uh, church because I have to be here. That isn't my design, but hear this. I do believe that God has created me or designed my life not only to lead you as a pastor or as a shepherd, but to equip you 
four works of service. That's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, 11, and 12. But to each one of us, somebody say grace, there's that word again, has been given as Christ appointed it. Look at this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, look, the, look at verse 12, to equip the people for what? Works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You know what he's saying? My job is to help develop your grace gift so that you can fulfill your purpose here on earth. There's a lot of people that think, and that's why a lot of churches have so much trouble, they believe that the, church, that the pastor's gift is go to the hospital. The pastor's gift is to drink their coffee and to eat their cake and to be at their house all the time. That's not the pastor's responsibility. And it's not a bad thing that he can do that or if he gets to do that. But if you read your Bible and want to go by what the Word says, this is what it says we're supposed to do. Come on, somebody. Let me share this with you. Thirdly, and I'm, I'm closing, getting close to this. If you want to know what my heart's desire is for this, this church to really know because One, thirdly, is that you realize and you use your gift. But listen to this. The only way that can happen is if you figure that out. And I, I believe that God's put us here, leaders here, to help you figure that out. But what, what I, my desire for you is this, is that when you go to sleep at night, you lay down. I had people you know, tell this to me. Every now and again, they'll come in and I'll say, how you, you doing all right? Yeah, and they'll say, listen, I, but I didn't sleep that well last night. You, you have that? I have those sometimes. And it isn't because we did anything. It may be because we ate pizza too late or we did this. But when I say go to bed and sleep at night, here's what I want. With all that's going on in the world and in your life, hear this, that you know that you're living your life fulfilled in Christ because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. There's no greater fulfillment. If you're wandering everywhere trying to figure that out, your life will never really feel fulfilled at all. Here's, here's why. People lose their way when they lose their why. People lose their way when they lose their why. You can't go on enough vacations to figure it out. You can't take enough time off work to figure it out. You, there's not enough. You can't do enough to figure this out. When you have lost your way, you tend to lose, you, you, you've lost your why. I don't know why I'm here. And the only way that you come back to the way is when you start to discover who, what God created you for and what your purpose is here on the earth. I'm closing. If you guys will, and I know I've gotten it set there. The greatest joy that I have is knowing that. Now look at this. Walking in last Sunday, and I, I, I came later to the service than normal, and I came on purpose later because I stayed at home, but it's it's cost us more to drive two different vehicles. We just don't normally do that. And so we try to come in one vehicle. She needs to be here about 9 o'clock. And I don't necessarily have to be here at 9 o'clock. But 
I stayed a little longer at the house to pray, I was ready. But when I came in, I parked and I came to the front. I actually went to the other building and I went to this one. And for me, there's no greater joy than to see our dream teamers standing at the parking lot or to come into that foyer area and they've got their their badges on that say dream team and we do that because we want people to know that you can help them and you can visitors, guests can know that you can uh, give them some direction but there's no greater joy for me than to see them talking and sharing with each other and, and, and caring about it. and there's joy, there's happiness there's a smile on their face, they're glad to be here, it's not like they don't want to that's, that, that's knowing, that's understanding what it is People lose their way when they lose their why. My question is, do you know your why? If there's something that you're doing that you feel like it's just, well, it's not my why, then we need to figure out what it is. One more verse. God is not unjust, this is Hebrews 6 and 10, but he will not forget your work. In other words, he, he recognizes it. And the love that you have shown him, as look at what it says, as you have helped his people and continue to help and continue to help them. Do you know that God considers the ultimate, what is considered the ultimate order of expression of worship? Would you stand with me, everybody, real quick? A lot of us think that we believe that the ultimate expression of worship is maybe Lifting our hands, which is not a bad thing. Maybe clapping our hands, not a bad thing. Maybe when we sing, not a bad thing. But I really believe that the ultimate expression of worship, look at this, is when you express love by helping others, not for yourself, but on his behalf. Everyone here, this is your real purpose. Listen to this last statement as we close. They're going to put it on the screen. My purpose is to serve God by serving others. That's it. That's your ultimate purpose. That really is your ultimate purpose. My purpose is to serve God. We're going, we're going to live for Him and serve Him. How do I do it? I'm going to do that by serving other people, somebody else. I'm not just looking at what I get out of a church service. I'm not just looking at what somebody else can do for me, but I'm thinking about what can I do to serve somebody else. Who is it? Who is it? Did God call me to greet at the door? Maybe he didn't. Maybe you're greeting. Maybe that's not what it is. Maybe your, your gifting is not. Maybe it is to sing. Maybe it is to lead a, a youth group. Maybe it is to lead uh, uh, in, a, in a worship service. Maybe it is to lead a small group. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Whatever it is, though, I'm telling you, it's connected to somebody else. It's not just about you. Would you bow your heads with me? This, this message this morning is about, it's about purpose. It's about understanding what it is. Here's the thing I want to do. I want to... I want to pray if you'll give me just a 